Hello, and welcome back to our podcast, Sound Off, um, Leadership Lessons with AOT, where our mission is to inspire and develop future leaders for the Air Force and beyond. I'm Cadet Randolph. And I'm Cadet Marler, and today's guest is Lieutenant Botello. So, uh, quick introduction questions for you, sir. Um, mm-hmm. Good evening, sir. How are you doing? And can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I am doing great. Thank you very much. Uh, so, I am stationed currently at Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma, uh, just not that far from Oklahoma City. I'm a 62 Echo, which is an engineer. I'm specified as a 62 E3E, an electrical engineer. I'm also the flight commander for the B-1 Avionics enlisted flight here at Tinker. Um, I'm about to hit my two-year mark in February and uh, had an array of new experiences, you name it, so uh, that's pretty much me in the short term. And being a USC alumni, mm-hmm. what were the deciding factors that led to you wanting to join the Air Force and also USC? Uh, so I, I can remember the day when we had new student orientation. I was really amazed by USC's detachment. Uh, I remember I had gone to there was a detachment, I believe, at UC Riverside or no, sorry, San Bernardino. Yeah. At San Bernardino, I also had done uh, some research into UCLA and all these other things, but I, I didn't feel as comfortable as I did when I went to USC. Um, I was also a cross town student, so I went from, uh, they were very familiar with the process. And um, with the other schools, I felt like I was very on my own. But when I, uh, had showed interest in USC. There were cadets reaching out to me. There were also POC reaching out to me, which was a, a huge thing. And I was like, wow, the, these guys really care that I want to be here. Um, so I, I got a very big, not only friendly, but almost family fe- meeting w- uh, feeling when I uh, joined for USC. And that's what really drew me to USC. And plus too, I've, uh, since I was growing up, I've always been a fan of the university. So uh, that, that's what led, led me to go to USC. I agree with the, um, Trojan family. It's definitely a big reason. A lot of people, um, come here, especially with ROTC pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, so now let's go over to just jump right into ROTC life. Um, and wonder if you can talk a little bit about what you learned through ROTC as far as being a leader, um, big picture. Okay. Uh, I think it might be a little different from where you guys were. Uh, when I was in, the POC were very tough on the GMC. Uh, it was very common, almost as in a basic training setting, you know, having all these trainers kind of putting you through these high pressure situations. And really what that taught me was to keep my composure in high stressful situations and, and environments. Um, I learned how to, you know, keep com- keep composure, rely on my flight mates. You know, you when you enter active duty, that's a huge thing. Rely on the the people around you. You can't really do everything all by yourself. Um, and then also too, it gave me the sense of respect to talking to people above and below the chain of command. Uh, you, it it was a really good experience, and I think I I, very, I flourished in that environment and. Uh, from USC, it, it really set me apart from my peers. So a bunch of my peers right now, they were either prior enlisted 
or a majority of them, or no, all of them are prior enlisted. So I have, I compete with people who have about 10, 12 years of experience in the Air Force that were NCOs. And uh, the experience I learned at USC not only put me on par with them, but also put me pretty much at the top of top of my uh, my unit. So. And you said that um, back when you were in ROTC, the POC were really tough on you. And um, as time has progressed, um, we are trying to limit the gap between POC and GMC since you've left and to where we're at right now. Um, what is your opinion on that? So do you think, would you go back and change it as a POC? Do you think it's better to, for there to be less of a, a gap between the GMC and the POC? Or do you think it's more effective to have the POC being uh, really tough on the GMC? Um, I think either route, you can't go wrong. In my, how I would personally want it, I would want it the way how I entered. Uh, because when I left, when I was a 400 and um, Cadet Choi was a 100, uh, it, it was very different from when I was a 100 to where she was. Uh, we were, they were a lot more approachable. Our POC were a lot more approachable and I'm assuming it's, it's just has gone better. Um, and I think with that sense, it makes you more comfortable with the people again above you. Whereas when I was in the training and it was, you know, a very uh, competitive and stressful environment, it kept you on your toes on how to properly talk to people, Uh, you know, no, yes, sir. No, sir. Dropping, just dropping lax conversations. Um, So in my personal opinion, I would like it be, but again, I like that training environment. Many people might not like that training environment. So uh, for me personally, I would like to go back to that divide. However, whatever's the most successful and whatever fosters a better environment for officers, absolutely go that route. Uh, So if that's how it's going right now and that's how we're producing the best quality officers, then we should definitely go that way. Right. So in in your opinion, do you think that... um that, that type of tone that gets set um, in a detachment or really anywhere in the Air Force between leadership and uh, followers, do you think um, that's something set by like the followers as in like the POC at the ROTC level or the upper leadership um, even beyond that? I think that's set at the, uh, the cadet leadership level. You know, you, you, uh, my outtake has always been do now, do what you can, and then do it until someone tells you, hey, uh, it should be done this way. You know, show initiative. And uh, one thing I was going to add, and I'll say it right now, is that the reason why I was pretty successful during my cadet career, I went out to field training. I graduated as a superior performer in the flight that had won not only honor flight, but uh, I forgot the other award, but both awards in both encampments. So out of that was a good bullet that I put on my um, on my packages for awards and everything as a cadet. That I graduated as the number three cadet in an encampment of four hundred people, and the reason why I was able to do that was because, again, the stressful environment and when you go on to field training, a lot of cadets across the country aren't used to that. Now I don't know how they run field training now, whether it's a stressful environment the way I went through it, 
but I was so used to it that I'm like, oh yeah, it, this is easy. Um, but I think it comes from the cadet leadership to answer your question, because then, you know, as a unit, as an ROTC commander, they're probably coming straight from a field base. They've probably talked to their, their predecessor and said, Hey, this is what's going on. This is how we're doing it. And really as the seat, the leadership in the cadet wing, they're expecting you to show initiative. They're expecting you to say, Hey, this is how we want to do it. Uh, we're going to go this way. And if they see confidence in you, great, let's do this way. If they might want to do things a little differently and be like, oh, I want to do this. And it's like, okay, we'll do that. But really it comes from the cadet leadership in my opinion. So before we move on to our next topic, mm -hmm. um, any funny stories from ROTC that you remember when you were in? Oh man. <laughs> um, yeah, actually when I was a 100, uh, there was Aiden Vaughn. He's currently an RPA pilot. Uh, if I hope he, I hope he sees this because then he, he might remember too. Was he same same grade? He was a 200. I was a 100. He was a 200. Um, okay. And we're doing reporting in procedures, practicing that. And he did not know how to keep a military bearing at all. Uh, for the guy who was uh, – he was in the, you know, the top third of his class. The only thing was probably he could not keep his, his, uh, his bearing – and there was a POC, Cadet Sullivan, or he's Captain Sullivan now. Um, he, big guy, former, uh, former NCO, and then joined ROTC to go to college. Pretty intimidating guy. And when he yelled at you, you can hear from a block away. But um, we're doing reporting and procedures, and Vaughn's up next, and he's already smirking. And everyone's already pissed. All the POC are already pissed. And we're all standing in line, just waiting to our turn to get in. And all I hear is uh, Sullivan asked Vaughn, I'm going to ask you three times if you're going to smile. And if you're not done smirking, we're going to have some issues. Are you going to smile? No. Are you going to smile? No. Are you going to smile? Yes. And everyone just starts laughing. <laughs> and we, we all got yelled at, but it was, it was pretty worth it. And then I have, uh, you know, field training was pretty funny too but we, we can get into that later yeah it seems to me like some of the best like stories and some of the funniest moments always happen under the most pressure yeah um, yeah and that's what that's uh you, that's the way to take the best experience from it honestly because that's what you're going to remember I, that, that happened what almost eight years ago for me and that's you know it was a stressful environment but that's the one thing i could remember to this day i was right behind him in line and it was yeah, th those moments are going to live with you for the rest of your life. All right, sir. So moving into some discussion on some leadership aspects mm -hmm. or inspirational aspects, um, how has the Air Force changed your perspective on life since you've been in, including your time at ROTC? <sighs> so... Coming up in Atari to see, you know, from the second year 100 to the 400, you're told, hey, you're an officer candidate. Whether you go rated, non-rated, whatever it may be, you're put into a position of leadership. You're senior to 80% of the Air Force. Uh, ROTC taught me, you know, the basic structures. It wasn't until active duty that I actually saw, okay, this is, this is what the Air Force is like. Um, luckily for me, I 
have a lot of of dealings with the group commander who's a full bird colonel. And really what I learned in ROTC from the detachment commander, the lieutenant colonel at the time, you know, she taught us, hey, every commander is going to have their own, you know, their own lines that you don't cross and their own things that they really like. And you have to be, to be a great officer, not only as a leader, but as a follower, you have to see what they expect from you. And uh, both commanders that I went through at ROTC showed me that very well. And then when I got to my, uh, to my first assignment, uh, this is the second group commander that I've gone through or that I've been under the leadership of. And that, that taught me very well. And again, with the back to the training, the stressful environment, you have some of these guys who are prior enlisted who, you know, they say, yeah, sure, whatever in front of them. And coming in, I was, yes, sir, no, sir. Just very straight, straight arrow. And that goes a long way. They, uh, in feedback sessions or anything, they'll mention like, hey, I, I really noticed that about you. And, you know, that's a very good bearing. Keep that up. So, so things like that. So um, as a um, mechanical engineering student, um, I'm interested in going to en- engineering field as well as rated slot. Um, so I'm wondering if you can talk about uh, what leadership is like as an engineer. Um, I know that career field is a lot different um, from other mm-hmm. ones. And so the leadership styles may change. So I was wondering about that. Okay. So the biggest thing I will say, if you go rated, you will probably not be put in a position of leadership until you're a major or a lieutenant colonel. Um, engineering wise, you don't really get put into a position of leadership until maybe you're a major or a captain at the, at the earliest, but even then you're probably going to be put uh, in charge of civilians. So the thing with engineering is they usually belong to AFMC air force material command and it's known for a freaking million civilians across all their bases. So in my group, there's about 2000 personnel. And out of that 2000 personnel, only 20 of us are military. Uh, Luckily I was, uh, I was a great performer. I was chosen to be the next flight commander and that's usually a captain's position. Um, So as an engineer, you're still expected to do your duties. However, your engineering duties and your uh, flight commander duties are completely different. Uh, you're essentially working two different jobs and having that engineering background, it really makes you look at things in an analytical way. Right. And you're able to see, okay, maybe we could go this route, that route. Um, but it, it's different. You really learn what kind of a leader you are. And I guess the biggest takeaway I can say is, lean on your NCOs heavily lean on your senior NCOs. They know everything they've been in 15, 16 years, whatever it may be. You're just going to be the butter bar coming in. Uh, that's if you don't go rated, right? Um, if you do go rated, you know, you do your trainings and everything you get assigned to your weapon system. And again, you're just doing these missions across the world or whatever the air force has you doing. And from there, you know, once you excel in your career field, that's when the Air Force will be like, okay, you know, you're doing pretty good. We're going to put you in a command position. Sir, you've mentioned, or it's very obvious that you've been very successful in the short time that you've been in the Mm -hmm. Air Force. 
And you mentioned that um, one way to be successful is lean on your NCOs. Um, are there other ways or other things you might, other tips or pointers you might give to a new lieutenant on how to be successful as a leader in the Air Force? Yeah, um, really just, it's as, as simple as once you get assigned to the unit, you know, your commander, your deputy commander will will show you around, will show you the guys and be like, okay, this is our mission. This is what we're going to be doing. It's as simple as going to that senior NCO or any NCO you want to talk to's office and be like, hey, I really don't know what I'm doing or what to expect. I need your help. And as long as you, you know, you're respectful and everything, they're going to help you out. Uh, the biggest thing too is, and I've noticed this a lot, just because you're an officer doesn't necessarily mean they're going to respect you as a person, right? That's respect with NCOs and with enlisted members who've been longer in than you have goes a long way. You, you have to really earn it. And the reason why I say that is because you can absolutely pull the card saying, hey, I'm the flight commander. I'm the officer in charge here. We're going to do this route. Forget about everything. They're going to listen to you. But if they listen to you, does that mean they're going to make, help you succeed? Probably not. So the, the next thing is, uh, one, talk to your NCOs. Be close with them. Two, you know, be an officer. Stand your ground, of course. But be open to many interpretations. Be open to many points of view. Uh, you're going to be new to this position. So don't come in thinking you know everything. You're not going to know anything. These guys are going to know just about everything. And again, they'll respect your rank, but they don't need to respect you as a person. So really just rely on your NCOs, uh, be respectful to everybody, and just keep an open mind. And really just try to be as approachable as possible. I've been told multiple times by both uh, below and above that lieutenants and CGOs really, they're, they're fishes. You're, you're goldfish. You're in a fishbowl. Everyone sees what you're doing. Some people might be waiting for you to fail. Other people might be waiting for you to succeed. So biggest takeaway, listen to your NCOs, you know, be mindful of what you're doing and uh, just, just try to be as, I guess, as, uh, as fair to everybody as you possibly can. You talked about for the gaining the respect of your NCOs. Sorry, Cadet Randall. Uh, what, what do you do um, to get that, to, to get that respect? Um, just some blanket, like large, large, big picture types um, okay. of things you can um, do. So really just not only being, not only being a supervisor, but being someone that, that's there for them. Uh, an example I can give you is we're PTing once as a whole unit, um, just the, the enlisted guys and I, and one of the guys started having muscle spasms in his back and he couldn't move. So I said, he was just like, Oh, I, I think I'll be fine. I'll take some ibuprofen and then just go home. I'll be fine. And like, no dude, you're going to the hospital. I'm taking you. Let's go. So took him to the hospital and we stayed there for about four or five hours, just making sure everything was okay. And finally, you know, luckily everything was fine. It was just muscle spasms, nothing crazy. Uh, but really, you could have eas- I could have easily assigned someone, hey, go with, this per- go with uh, Sergeant Brown, you know, make sure he's okay. Stay with him. I know you have a family at home, but I don't care. Go with him. 
being mindful of people's environments, being mindful of their home life. Uh, whether you come in, join active duty, married or not, whatever personal life you have, you know, keep, keep their personal lives in mind as well. You might have an NCO who's struggling financially at home or struggling with hardships at home. Uh, and, you know, as long as they're, they're hard workers and doing their jobs, there's, there's nothing wrong with accommodating to them. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, like they come to you like, hey, I've been doing all everything I've been asked to, been kicking ass in my job. Uh, is it cool if I just uh, come in a few hours late just to uh, spend some time with my daughter before I come into work? And it's, you, it's your, really your call. If you have confidence in that guy, like, yeah, absolutely. Just like have a good day. And if there's anything that happens, let me know. Uh, so really being there for them and listening to them because at the senior level of group leadership, squadron leadership, they're executing commands or executing the mission at the strategic level where these guys are doing it at the tactical level. And really as a CGO, you're that gap, you're that bridge, uh, that bridges that gap. So really just be mindful and, and open to anything that they ask. And another thing that gets their respect too is like, hey, we've been doing this for the past two, three years. It's it's not right. Uh, can we go this route? And really, that's your call too. That's really your call. Um, so just being mindful about it and keeping keeping everyone's thoughts into consideration. Really quickly, sir. Um, a little while back, you mentioned uh, CGO. Would you mind explaining what that is for people who? Don't know really got you yeah sorry about that uh, CGO, no worries no worries cgo is a company grade officer so from lieutenant to captain then you get to your field grading officers which is uh major to colonel and then you have your general officer so cgos are usually yeah cgos are usually between lieutenant and captains uh second lieutenants or first lieutenants uh i don't want to say this in a, in a negative way you have a lot of leeway to fail right so it's a good opportunity for you to go out and learn. And as long as you're working hard, even if you fail, there's always going to be somebody there or your leadership's going to understand you have great intentions and it's an opportunity for you to learn. And obviously you're always going to fail no matter what happens. And the sooner you accept that, the better, because you're like, okay, I failed, but I learned from my mistakes and I learned what to do and what not to do. And really, as a CGO, by the time you're your captain, you're expected to have refined those skills and not make any mistakes. But between second lieutenant and first lieutenant, that's for you to really get a grasp of what's needed and what you can do and what you can't do. That's one thing that I learned um, a lot from going to field training this past summer, which was how much you learn from failure. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I, you know, it's always talked about, you're always, you always told like, yeah, you learn the most from failure. I don't think I ever put two and two together until field training where they're forcing you to fail. Like you're expected to fail. And so that was my biggest takeaway from field training. Yeah. And you know, that's, it's okay. I think we've put so much pressure into you can't fail. You can't fail. Right. But it's really, in a you know in a not critical environment it's okay to fail it's okay to go down a project and realize this probably wasn't the best bet but the best thing is as long as you're giving your hard work and you're trying no one can really hold you against that 
So now that you've had um, a lot of time in the actual Air Force to um, develop your leadership skills even further, what advice would you give to a younger Cadet Botello uh, in the Air Force RTC detachment? Oh, man, a lot. <laughs> uh, a lot, really. Um, the good, so... Ah, oh, man. The rated community is extremely different from the non-rated community, right? My buddies in the rated community, they're having a blast right now. They're surrounded by lieutenants and captains, sometimes talking to their supervisors. And that's, that's the thing, too, is that uh, what ROTC gives you is an opportunity to talk to a lieutenant colonel. Usually in a majority of career fields, you're only going to be talking to the lieutenant colonel maybe once a year. Even furthermore, you're only going to talk to your commander again in passing. Hey, how's it going, sir? Good. How are you, LT? And stuff like that. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of things. I, I the, the one thing I could think of is that respect the rank, uh, but because you respect the rank doesn't necessarily mean you have to respect the person. Um, really, uh, and the only reason why I say that, I'll give you a short sweet version of it when i first got here i had a sponsor who was a captain he had uh, just was going to go on to major he had a pretty big ego and a, a lot of the people in the in the unit were aware of it and originally i always thought he was my supervisor because he wore the rank right so anything i had to do anything i did i he expected me to go through him if i was taking leave hey you need to tell me what you're doing okay Hey, what projects are you working on and stuff like that? To the point where it was, uh, you know, I, I wasn't comfortable. I come later to find out that, hey, he's just your sponsor. He's not, he doesn't have anything to do with you. He's not in your chain of command. You know, of course, respect his rank because he's a major. But um, other than that, like, you, you don't have to do what he necessarily tells you. It's not, they're not lawful orders. So dealing with a very big personality as a lieutenant, um, that was a one thing that was a, a hard learning curve for me because also too, we would go into meetings. This guy would probably say things he, or not say things where it was demeaning to certain people. And when he would leave, I'd have to be the one saying, Hey, I apologize about what happened. So the big, uh, one big thing is respect the person. You don't need to respect the rank. And again, as a Lieutenant entering the air force, you're senior to 80% of the people in the air force. And your senior commanders will, your senior leadership will look at you. And even though you're a lieutenant, again, people are going to know or are going to expect you to fail. They're still going to give you a lot of responsibility. And uh, don't ever be afraid to stand your ground as a lieutenant, right? You're an officer. You, you have a commission in the Air Force. And again, it's not to give everyone a big head who, who's an officer in the Air Force, but Really, don't ever let anyone walk all over you or think that, hey, this is the way we're doing things. You're in a position where if you see something wrong, you can speak up. Whether whatever rank they are, you should be able to speak up because you hold that office. So that um, – but really – so, for instance, handling an engineering degree or studying an engineering degree, pursuing one – and doing ROTC, that set me up pretty nicely when I entered active duty because you're just so used to juggling all these things that uh, it, it becomes almost 
like, oh, this is my job. This is really easy. Okay, cool. All right, sir. Moving into our last um, sort of topic of today, um, we're going to go into the te technical aspect of your position. Okay. And so, what are some of the um, what are the main capabilities of your job, and why is it meaning to you specifically? So, what's the reason you decided to be an engineer in the Air Force? Okay. Um, so. Originally, I wanted to be a pilot, and then you know the Air Force had had different thoughts about it. Um, the one thing you need to learn is that the needs of the Air Force come before your own personal ones. So whatever, you know, I I was at first a little heartbreaking about it, but I'm more than blessed to be in this position because I learned so much. Um, at my current job, I either work on air accessories, so anywhere between small to large parts, valves, regulators, you name it. Um, from various different weapon systems, 12 different weapon systems I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, and what's special about being at this base too is that we get to, as engineers, actually touch the end item, uh, test it, whatever it may be, go through the process engineering of it. At other bases, it's not like that. So it's at a, we're at a depot base. At field bases, it's not like that at all. You're just a program manager or you're helping the program manager, you're the technical expertise behind it. So any technical work, you're just reviewing over a computer. Uh, it's, it, it's still engineering work, don't get me wrong, but here is giving me a chance to do very hands-on things and things that I'm like, oh, wow, this is getting sent out. It's going to be on an aircraft. And I, I partook in it and having successful testing and you know, returning capabilities to the Air Force, essentially. Um, so that's, that's one cool thing. And uh, just to give you guys a little bit of an insight for when you commission, uh, give you a, a good understanding um, from the rest of your peers is that there's field bases and there's depot bases. I belong to a depot base. There's only three depot bases, uh, and that falls under AFMC. And then the sub of that is Air Force Sustainment Center. You have these three depots, and imagine your car has an uh, – annual mechanic check, right? Tires rotated, engine check, oil filter change. That's essentially what the depot does. So whatever the aircraft may be, five, 10 year checkup, it does a complete overhaul of all of its end items. And really from reskinning a whole KC-135 to testing things for a B2, that's, that's essentially what we do at Tinker. And, um, it, it's giving me again, a lot of hands-on experience and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Sounds like so, you enjoyed a lot. Oh, sorry. Get him more Yeah, no, you're good. Um, so as you, um, are very hands-on with this engineering, um, with all these aircraft, how much creativity is involved, um, as far as engineering and was it what you thought it would be? Ooh, uh, it's a lot of creativity. So, you're designing fixtures or test stands for uh, these end items that, you know, you have no idea what it does. So you have to go into what's called the technical order that tells you how to test it, what it's supposed to be doing. And I've designed different types of toolings, fixtures again. Uh, it, it was very challenging. They could be projects that anywhere between, you know, a few days to a few weeks. Um, and it, 
the creativity, I, I had an idea of it, but I never thought it was going to be this in depth because when you're designing these tools, they have to be precise, right? They, uh, if you can't fit this into a socket, then it's not going to work. And you just spent three weeks designing a tool that just failed you. So it, it's not, uh, it's a little high pressure. I don't want to say it's stressful because it is a, a bit enjoyable using that creativity. But um, again, I only had basically an idea of it. I never thought it was going to be this in depth. So you mentioned that there were three depot bases or depot, correct? Dep depot. Depot bases. They pronounce it depot. Um, I, don't, I don't know why they pronounce it. It's, yeah, <laughs> your guess is as good as mine, man. How long have you been at Tinker and uh, how much longer are you expected to be there from your knowledge? Uh, so I, there, yeah, there's three depots and I probably, I, I applied to a training program. Um, I'll find out in February if I get in, if I do get in, it's immediate. I, I PCS immediately. If I don't, I actually hit my two year mark at, uh, on February. So, um, we'll see from there. Once I hit my two year mark, my commander right now is pretty cool. Uh, he knows I want to get more experience. If I, if I don't get into the training program, he knows I, I do want to get more experience outside of the depot level and go to a field level base. So really, uh, I, I would prefer to go to a base in the coast. Uh, growing up in California is really a blessing in disguise. Once you go to a place, I, I'm not saying Oklahoma is bad, but uh, the, it's a very big culture shock and it sucks going to a place where you have to worry about the weather. Uh, just for instance, yesterday was 80 degrees. I woke up this morning, it was 32 degrees. So uh, it gets cold, you know, worried about tornadoes too. It, it's, uh, it's a lot. So, yeah. It's, de it's definitely hard leaving somewhere where the beach is within 30 minutes. Absolutely. Not nice beach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I just came up to Idaho, from California. First snow was today. It's freezing. But um, <laughs> so my question was for you, um, Sir, um, what your end goal is as far as engineering the Air Force goes? My goal really is to uh, get enough. If I do decide to go through engineering and um, I, you know, don't get into that program, there's not going to be bitter about it. If I stick with engineering, I hope to learn as much as I can and really maybe go into a program management position, whether it's civilian or Military-wise, um, I, I really want to prepare myself for that next echelon, right? And uh, who knows? Who knows? I for Today, I met the, co the, the depot commander here at Tinker, who's a one-star, and he was, a, he was a maintainer, and he thought he was only going to stay in four years. And he's like, hey, get this program management experience and get out, make a bunch of money in the civilian world. That was... 25 28 years ago and he's still in and really i i think i would like to have that same mindset where I'm keeping an open mind really seeing what i want to do uh so just learn as much as i can and that's really also another recommendation i give to you guys once you get in just soak in and learn as much as you can so you can not only help people in under your command or those around you but help yourselves as well So is the Air Force overall um, something that you were um, kind of surprised by how much you enjoyed, um, like that one-star general? 
or um, just about what you're expecting? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> um, it, I, I try to keep an open mind and not expect much because then, you know, you're going to be surprised regardless. But um, it, the cool thing about being at this space, again, is just being surrounded by all the senior leadership or some of my buddies who are at Space Command or at other different commands, their next line of leadership was a, a captain or a major. Um, so I always thought like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably be interacting with these people. But I only interact with other lieutenants, other civilians, and then the next higher rank of person I interact with is a lieutenant colonel. And um, really, it's a good opportunity to to – talk to senior leadership because they care what you have to say. Uh, you know, of course, being respectful and everything, they, they really want to see like, hey, how's, how are things going? I, I would also say too, keep an open mind on their end, asking like, hey, what are your goals for, for while you're in command? Like, what can I be doing to better help your, your, uh, your mission for the command? And really um, being in that position, I never thought of, two years ago that I was going to be, you know, having those conversations with someone at that level. So before we wrap it up, sir, um, do you have any good stories? So you already told us a story about back when you were in ROTC, uh, any funny stories from the operational air force that you'd like to share with, uh, listeners? Uh, any funny stories without any that you're allowed to tell. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. Uh any funny stories, let me see. Um I have a few that like it's like either Adam and stuff or anything, but um Huh. Oh, uh oh <laughs> there's a there's a chief, right? So chiefs, you you don't mess around with these guys. Chiefs know just about everything they've probably been in the air force longer than you've been alive and uh i never had any direct relation with this chief i just always saw the interactions he had with people and he was not afraid to chew anybody out whether it was an officer an enlisted member because he was always on top of his stuff and the biggest thing uh not the biggest thing but one of the funniest things i ever witnessed was um there was a mechanic who, who did something wrong and I guess he had a pretty bad attitude about everything in general. And she was coming around and he heard about this and was just like, oh, okay. And he just had such a weird way of approaching things. He would ask, what's one plus one? So, and when he knew he asked that question, it was going to lead to another array of questions and he was just going to make you feel dumb. And <clears throat> the, the thing I witnessed was, He's asking this to mechanic, oh, you know, what's one plus one? And the guy goes, two. What's two plus two? Or he says, four. You getting paid? Oh, yeah, of course. He's like, then why aren't you doing your job? Uh, he, you know, he threw some curse words in there, and then everyone's like, oh, shit, everyone got really serious. Like, they went that route. And then he goes, I would understand if you're not getting paid. Don't do your job if you're not getting paid. But if you're getting paid, you should be doing your job. And just to, you know, witness that as a lieutenant, it's just like, whoa okay <laughs> like these these people mean business uh that's really the only thing i could think of right now without getting into the ones that i can't talk about so uh 
actually oh wait no i can talk about this one because this was released a couple uh like maybe eight nine months ago one of the mechanics that uh, another engineer used to work with he accidentally made a bomb in the shop and how he did that was it was this close-off valve that you're supposed to put in pressure into it he was this idiot wasn't paying attention and he overpressurized it and it sealed out so it had a few thousand psi in this ball that's probably the size of a tennis ball and uh when he came in he's like hey i i think i i might have done something wrong and all the engineers and i are looking at each other like okay what'd you do he's like i, I can't really explain it i have to show it to you and then he shows us and it's, it's just sitting right there and we're like okay what's up and he's like i i think it stopped at about close to three thousand psi but it's sealed in there and like oh shit man <laughs> so uh luckily the way we uh went about it was we just drilled it and then well we drilled a very tiny hole into it and let the air escape and that's how we diffused the bomb so was this just like a um like just get rid of it and like solve the problem really fast like don't tell anyone or was this like a um, call everyone we know like try to fix this problem it, it was the first one really because you, <laughs> you don't want to call security forces and yep. and do all this stuff you want to do the best you can and and really we, we were responsible we we made sure it wasn't an immediate danger to anybody on the drill press that we had it on. It was a pretty, uh, pretty protected area. So it, it wasn't at any risk. The really risk was that the guy just left it laying around and you're like, Oh shit, what are you doing, man? But, uh, it, it was one of those things where it's just like, do we need to call anybody? No, we can, you know, start brainstorming ideas. And within two minutes we're like, you know, we can just, uh, drill a very tiny hole into it and let the air escape. And once the air is done escaping, we, we should be good to go. So, yeah. All right. So, Cadet Randolph, do you have any more questions? No, I think I, that's it. So, um, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, Lieutenant Botello. Um, now, we're going to um, take a little time if you have any questions for us or closing remarks. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't have any questions at the moment right now. Or... What are you guys actually? I do. What are you guys expecting active duty to be like when you enter? Well, I'm hoping it's a lot of flying, mm -hmm. um, but that's because I'm going for a rated slot. Um, I'm hoping to enjoy it enough to stay in for a very long time. Um, and I'm also hoping to apply some leadership because I, I honestly really like uh, being in leadership positions and helping out other people. Okay. I like Cadet Marler. I'm and planning on staying up for a too. while. And so uh, I think the thing I'm most excited about is focusing on one specific task. As you know, you're in college and you have to worry about classes, you have ROTC. If you're, if you're working, you have a job. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And so I think the thing that I'm most excited about is to get into the operational Air Force and worry about doing your job well and succeeding at that um, uh, yeah i i can tell you you're that's one really good thing to look forward to and uh yours is a really also a good thing to look forward to if you get in you're gonna if you're either gonna love it or you're gonna hate it but even for the guys that i know that hate it they love it still you're, you're flying so <laughs> you know but no absolutely uh 
it is such a relief coming into active duty from the college side because now you just have one job. Now you don't have to worry about studying and everything and you don't have all these other stressors in your life. The only thing is, you know, you might be on your own, but you have your flight mates, you have all these other people. And really that's what I, in my opinion, from ROTC, OTS and Academy grads, I think ROTC guys are the best. I might be biased, but they're the best uh, officers because you guys were so well-rounded when it comes to different things that, you know, yeah, I can get five of these things done. No problem. And everyone's like, Whoa, really? I'm like, yeah, of course. Um, but that's awesome. Okay. Good to hear you guys. Uh, I think you guys have a good mindset on that. And for any closing remarks, again, keep an open mind. My personal recommendation is that once you get in as a CGO, you know, Lieutenant through captain, depending whether you're in a flight training or wherever environment you're in, go get your master's really. And I'm not saying that's a better your chances at promotion, get your master's because the air force will pay for it. I am a few classes away from getting mine. The only reason why I did it is because the air force is paying for it. I'm like, why not? I, I have all this time to, I just go to work and then come home, go to the gym, play some Xbox. And that's about it. That's really the average day, in my, the, the average day in my life. So uh, my closing remark would be, I, I'm a huge fan of education. So go out and get your master's. So then even if you don't decide to stay in the air force, at least you got a master's from it. That's great advice. Yeah. Again, Thank you, sir, for joining us today. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast. And we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to meet with us. Um, thank you all for tuning in to Sound Off Leadership Lessons with Erwin Troy. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to uh, this episode. And we hope to see you next time. And like always, keep calm, fight on, and sound off.